I'd like us this morning to take one step previous to last week and go back to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew 9. What are the Gospels? Now, it's a really important question how you and I approach the Scripture. I say this, I hope, with kindness. Um, I was sharing a, a platform with effectively one of the heads of the four-square denomination, um, heading up the university there in Dallas. And one of the other people on that platform is a long-term experienced Roman Catholic charismatic leader of your nation and a lady who uh, very much came out of the Pentecostal circles and loves to minister through playing the violin. At the end of our session, we invited comments. Well, I didn't invite comments, but we invited questions. And sometimes, I think it's always good. Good questions are good questions if they're really of the heart. Some comments are stupid. <laughs> and bless him, and I mean that, one of the students from Christ for All Nations got up and said this, well, why don't you guys just follow the Bible? <laughs> and at that moment, I thought, thrilling. But actually, David, who's the four-square guy, said this. He got there ahead of me, which is probably just as well. But he, he simply said this. He said, here is our difficulty. In this room, we probably would all agree with the sentiment. Let's follow the scripture. Here's our problem. Whose interpretation of it do you follow? And so we must do our reflection, and it's an ever-increasing need to do so, particularly in our nations. We were sharing last week that there seems to be yeah, a lot of talk about Jesus, but little knowing of him. And so when it comes to the Gospels... Uh, many Christians don't know what to do with them. What I mean by that is this, that they, they're glad they're there because they give us insight into the life and ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and even Pentecost in the Gospels, and reference to the second coming. But we have a tendency to relegate that to history. But that's not how they were written at all. 
So this morning, we need to start with an understanding that the Gospels were written out of the resurrection. They're the other side. They are, and please hear this, by the Spirit, by the design of God, and I believe in the doctrines of Scripture, they, they, they tell us everything we need to be saved. And if it's not there, you don't need to know it for salvation. Doesn't mean those other things aren't interesting, but you cannot command something that is not out of the scripture. And that is unique, and it is sufficient, and it is for all. But in the Gospels, they are reflections of the early Christian community. And in Matthew, particularly, those who had walked through being Jews coming out the other side and allowing the fullness, if we can say it like this, allowing the Old Testament to be inflamed in the light of all that Jesus did. And then they reflect back for us today so that we can have insight into, yes, what Jesus did, but this is the reflection of our forebears that is very important if we're going to be the church. And each one of the gospel writers, of course, God by his spirit, had a different perspective. And that is why sometimes as you read the gospel, you think, well, the other one seems to say it like this. Um, we have a saying back home, and I've never tested this with Tim, but if you lined up in court ten witnesses to an event, and they all said it exactly the same, I'd throw it out. Seems to me somebody's got together and contrived, yes? And so we may, we may reflect on the same thing. We may choose different words. It'll all add to the puzzle of God. And Matthew is difficult for us because he particularly wants to bring the Old Testament alive. He doesn't want to reject it. And now today we take this step back and in chapter 9 Jesus stepped into a boat. He's just dealt with legion. And some of you say, well hang on a minute, is there one possessed man or two possessed men? And the answer goes like this, well in Hebrew understanding, if you want to emphasize something, you might say two. Now that's not what we're used to. We go, well, that's a lie. No, it isn't. Because in the right sense of this, the Bible wasn't written to you. That always gets a, a rise. So we need the humility to enter into what was being said initially. And for me, that's a, that's a lifelong work. And by the way, I've had to change my mind a number of times. So now Jesus has done that. He's done many other wonderful things. And he now comes to his hometown. And some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, 
get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Uh, to, uh, to man. Now, all the early passages, and it works like this too in Mark's gospel, but today we're in this area leading up to where we were at the men's breakfast. Who do you say that I am? All of these passages take place against a background that should cheer you up. Conflict. Jesus is dealing with conflict. And when Jesus steps, as it were, onto the scene, conflict doesn't get less, it gets more. Because now that the light has come, every element of darkness is, you know, it's like those creepy crawlies under your rocks. They're pretty happy under there. You turn the stone over and they flee. So Jesus is in conflict with the devil. He's just done that. But he's also in conflict with something that has taken us away from his father. Namely, sin. Now we talk about sin separating but I'm not sure we really get it. You see, where we were headed, where this community that we're going to read off today, and the story is always both corporate and personal. We tend, as Westerners, to read everything personal. It's not. Oh, of course it's personal, but it's not. This is the story of God's community that is out of step with God. Imagine that. And yet that's the church today. That God's community is out of step with the one who communes with his body and he is the head. So you know the story in Genesis 3 how God in his goodness and kindness threw us out of the garden. That was a very kind act. If he hadn't thrown us out of the garden we would have been in sin forever in heaven. So in his judgment and mercy, which is always two sides of the same coin, he throws us out. Thank you, Jesus. I'm serious, folks. Thank you that you threw us out. Because in your throwing us out, that which you planned before even any of that happened, we can now affect. And we call it his cross. Isn't he good? Isn't he kind? So now, we're going to see some insight into this. And in Mark's gospel, it's kind of jazzier. But let's, let's hold it in Matthew today. So into this community, into this setting, all of a sudden, 
some men brought to him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So here's a man who just can't help himself. By the way, we hate that. You know, part of the American dream is I can do it. Watch me. And God will always step into that to break you. Why? Because he's good and kind. If you can do it, you can do it. And when you can do it, you don't need God. So it's not that God wants you to say, oh, cringe. But this teaching that we need, I need Jesus. I've always stood here and told you that. I need Jesus. I need him this Sunday morning. And the moment you don't, you're done. So this man is very physical. He's a real person. But he's paralyzed. He can't move. And perhaps some of us in various areas of our lives are paralyzed. We can't move. Certainly today the church is being forced into a fear mode where she almost can't move. So she can't be prophetic and she can't teach. Therefore she can't evangelize. Anyway, we probably better stop that sermon. And he's laying on a mat. And look at Jesus' reaction, because what would it have been like if somebody came into this building this morning on a mat, carried in? Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we would say, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Maybe we'd say, we go into, I don't have the power. What are we going to do with this? But nevertheless, and we don't know anything about, so you're allowed to imagine into the text, we don't know why the four brought their friend to Jesus, but this we know, they brought their friend to Jesus. Maybe they'd heard that there was healing available. Maybe they'd tried everything else. Maybe they were desperate, but here's the key to it. The desire was to get him to Jesus. That's all they had to do. And it is that desire we still need today to be with, to get to Jesus. It's all about him. We sing it sometimes. And Jesus looks at this and he says, this is faith. Now they haven't expressed on this occasion, as far as we know, they haven't declared a single doctrine, and that's important, doctrine is. They haven't asked Jesus for anything in word. They've just acted and they've gone plonk and put this man in front of Jesus. I want to say it like this. Don't worry about what you can't do with the Lord. Do what you can do. If you keep worrying about what you can't do, you'll never do what you can do. Do the next thing. And if it is to carry somebody a few yards, but Jesus sees this, 
and interprets this, and by the way, he's God, so he must be right. (laughs) He says, this is faith. And I noticed that one man could not carry the mat by themselves. How many years have we spent talking about teamwork only to go individualistic? We talk our story. We don't always live it. So it took all of them to get this man to Jesus. And still today, it's not possible to be a Christian and not be gifted. Did you hear that? Now, my question is, do you believe that? And I'll tell you how you know you believe it, by what you live. If we continue to draw on our lack rather than his graces and givenness, we just go... (laughs) So Jesus looks at this man and he does something that is remarkable. They would have been very cool providing it wasn't the Sabbath if Jesus had walked over, laid hands and the man got up. That would have been very, very cool. But he doesn't. Because Jesus is moving in circles of conflict and sometimes it is in the conflict where we will learn the most, both personally and community story. So he sees their faith and responds to the man. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now this opens a hornet's nest. Is all sickness the consequence of sin. Yeah, it is actually. There was no sickness in the garden and there will be no sickness in the new heaven and the new earth. So ultimately, is all sickness the consequence of sin? Yes. Does that mean that everybody who's experiencing sickness, and that will be most of us by the way, is a direct consequence of your sin. No. But it might be. And it will certainly have a component of it. Okay? So Jesus, in this particular case, in this case, this man's paralysis, somehow his sin had so gripped him that he was incapable Because sin does lie, looking, eager to swallow up, crouching at the door, to make us incapable. This is, of course, not going to be the end of the story. But Jesus doesn't even ask him if he wants his sin forgiven. Uh, We don't even know in the story if this man asked his friend to take them to Jesus. All these things are left for us to ponder and to think into and to see the scene. And Jesus looks way beyond. See, the need's obvious, isn't it? The need is obvious. Now, this will take some of you and spin you. Jesus isn't need-centered. That'll spin some of your charismatics into apoplexy with me. Find out what a person's need is and deal with it. I'll tell you what their need is. A saviour. 
And we've lost it in the church. We've lost our cutting edge. We've lost our... Anyway, that's another sermon and we won't go down there. But Jesus sees this man's need. And by the way, it's your need and mine. Your sins are forgiven. Patang! Listen to what he also says here. He begins it with this. Take heart, son. Now, taking heart is like this. You might want to write down and meditate, it, meditate on it at some stage. Acts 4.13. There is a gift of courage. And boy, do we need that gift today. The Apostle Paul would have said it slightly differently, but it's the same thing. You find sometimes at the end of his letters, and you think of, I think of Paul as this squat man, but hey, he had no fear. He was just bold to go where God sent him. Not a problem. And yet Paul is always coming back and saying, pray for me that I may boldly proclaim. Is that right? Now, why does he need, I've had this question in a different way this morning, why does he need the same prayer more than once? Because he needs the same prayer more than once. You can write that down and it's quite brilliant. (laughs) Because every situation requires, if we can put it like this, a fresh courage and infilling to meet that situation and you may find in your life and the life of the church that you are very bold in certain situations and a complete wimp in another and it seems to me that what what we're getting at here is is the courage that comes in the apostolic mantle that we need to face the future and it's not courage in kind of arrogance and superheroes It's the courage that takes you into it and through it, even when your knees are knocking. And many of you know that. It's not the absence of fear. Get that. It's not the absence of doubt. Get that. It is that beyond that, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is filling us with courage. And we need to go and ask him for it. Take heart. Take courage. And... Another study you could do, if you so wish, is the first chapter of Joshua. Take courage. But what I see there in Joshua 1 is fascinating. God speaks it. He speaks it to Joshua, oh, more than once, by the way. You'd think if he was a really godly leader, he'd have got it. And then it's the responsibility of the people in him to actually come alongside and say, come on. And they bless him, not only God, it's not that they, Joshua doesn't just need God, he needs the people of God to be speaking a word of courage into his life. Because after all, he saw how good Moses was and how Moses screwed up royally. And if I'd been Joshua, which thank God I wasn't, I'd have thought, if that can happen to Moses, I don't want the job. So we need courage. Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, why is he going to need to take courage for the forgiveness of sin? And it's simple, because everything's changed. 
Everything's different. You can no longer even blame your sin for your stupidity. He is now being made by Jesus into a responsible human being with complete dignity, taking his place forgiven in the community of faith. And you're going to need courage to do that. I cannot tell you how many times I've said to the Lord, I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that. And my favourite Baptist prayer pops out. No, Lord. (laughs) Yeah. If you've never been with a no, Lord, you haven't heard God. I'm deadly serious. So I will need courage because I'm now responsible. And we so like to go back to Genesis 3. I kid around with that all the time. Whose fault is it then? Just looking. Whose fault? It's not my brother, nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now, we know in this story that the whole community around, by and large, are thrilled. But not all. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. As we said last week, Jesus was blaspheming, unless... This is pointing to the divinity of the Son of God. This is not simply, let's have some more miracles in our meeting. No, this is finding out who Jesus is. And the critics have got it. Who can forgive sin but God alone? They're right. And so part of why Jesus came to earth and all these miracles and stuff are to demonstrate the yeah, the restoration of the kingdom, putting things right, bringing back into order that which is chaos. But in order to do that, the root problem is sin. Now, there are a lot of prayers out there for the peace of the world, and I have to pray them, particularly in formal services, and I get that, but in my heart I'm going this, God, there'll never be peace. Not until grace has done its work. Because peace is the fruit of grace. So this man now, the first thing, because, I mean, he didn't have any say in it really. But the first thing is conflict because the guys standing around are saying, this is a terrible thing. I can't believe that the men bringing him or he himself thought it was a terrible thing when he stood up. But it's not that the conflict goes away. The battle just changes. And sometimes when you enter into Christian faith, the battle gets worse, not better. But this it certainly does. It changes. And then Jesus goes for the root of this, knowing their thoughts. And and please listen. He doesn't give a, a huge explanation. 
Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your... Now the heart, of course, in Scripture is, is, is kind of representing the whole person. And we saw it again at the breakfast just over a week ago that Peter in one moment can say, you're the Christ of the Son of the living God on behalf of himself and the brothers and in the next moment speak satanically. So it's not simply that God works on our hearts once and then says, get on with it. He's a continual heart surgeon who is continually making us more like himself, and we call that sanctification. And it's a hard road. It's a narrow road. It's a suffering road. It's a misunderstanding road. It's an incomprehensible road. Because God's God and you're not. For which we all give thanks. So this... What seems on the surface to be a reasonable question, who can forgive sins, blasphemy, etc., etc., Jesus looks upon the other, and just as he spoke into this man's life and said, your sins are forgiven, and up he gets, he's looking into other people's lives and saying, evil. He's not saying you're a nice person, really. You just need a bit of me. Well, that's sometimes our gospel, isn't it? What you really need is your life with Jesus on top. The Jesus self-improvement program. It's not God. We've got to stop that. The old is finished. So Jesus goes on. He says, well, what's easier to say then? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Well, on the one hand, it's very easy to say to you, you know what? <laughs> oh, no, that's you. Never mind. <laughs> Stacey, your sins are forgiven. It's easy to say that. But it may not come with any power or authority. Just try. But in this case, Jesus is, is not going to leave it alone. I want you to know something. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now authority, and actually in the roots of this church, authority was a big question. It's a right question. And so often we come back to, by what authority and who said? And we, that question has always been the religious question. But it's an important question to settle authority. Because without authority, nothing happens. Can you abuse authority? Oh, yeah, yeah. And off we go and spin our stories. But listen, our spun stories of tragedy are only a reflection of the fact there was truth there. So Jesus says, I want you to know that I have an authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know it. Because I want you to know who I am. Who is Jesus? 
And so he now speaks to the man, and he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Notice again in this one, no laying on hands. Just command, just instruction. It's a sign of his authority. What authority? The authority that the king of the kingdoms standing in the midst and exercising kingly power and saying, would you please get up and go home? And he does. But let us notice something here that I think sometimes trips us up. The mat. Now I'm going to play for a bit, so in this one. So just, just come back to it for yourself. What if the mat he'd come on had been a kind of cuddle comforter all his life? I'm not saying it was. You get the point. But the mat certainly was at least a function. And the function of the mat was to get him to Jesus. But from that moment onwards, that function was never needed again. It had served its purpose. It was a very good thing. But now, in the light of the forgiveness of sins, was what? Totally inappropriate. He didn't lie down upon it again and say to the other guys, right, take me home now. He picked it up, slung it over his shoulder and went out. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we are simply doing, thinking, saying, living things that are completely inappropriate to who we are. And that may be because we refuse to let go of the good. Well, this worked for me. Sure, the mat worked for him. It's not sometimes the hard things, the sinful things that we know about that stop our walk. It's the good stuff. You've heard me say that too often probably now. You go, oh yeah, well you always say that. You know why I say that? Because I know it to be true. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, go home. man did that, got up, went home. Look at the crowd's reaction. Wow. That was different. That was cool. That was a good meeting. Hope they didn't go to the next meeting expecting a repeat performance. Seriously. God loves to do the same thing differently. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. And then we're going to get back to where we were last meet. Matthew, you follow me. So God steps into our situation. God steps into the church. And remember now back to the Gospels. The Christian community, the other side of the resurrection, needed to know the forgiveness of God. We still do. Now so much, and I'm going to be very careful with this because you probably know people, I certainly do, but so much of our emotional turmoil, our mental difficulties, 
are because we've never really allowed at a profound level the forgiveness of sins to settle into our lives. And so if we don't grasp that, our emotions are wrecked. You say, well, surely we've done it by... No, because this is an ongoing battle. Because we do have an enemy who wants to keep us away from living in the forgiveness of God. Now, what is different about you than your non-Christian next-door neighbor? Because they may be, and I don't know your next-door neighbor, they may be smarter than you. They may be prettier than I. Difficult, I know, but it's possible. (laughs) They may have giftings that are completely wonderful and to be celebrated. They might even be living moralistically a better life than you. Yeah? It's possible, folks. There's some nice non-Christians out there who won't screw you over. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have said it like that. But it's just true. But what do you know that they don't? That your sins are being forgiven. What do you know that they don't? That Jesus has come to forgive you your sins in order that out of his saving power and presence he gives you his life. And it's okay to say, you know, I'm not very good at this because I'm a learner. Because God is still moving me piece by piece. I remember the very first time I was in the States I saw that little poster. Please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. That's true. God has not finished with me yet. So we have a gospel of the forgiveness of sins because without it you're going to hell. Now I just simply ask you a question, probably you'll all shout back at me over lunch. I don't hear that preached in the church very much anymore. I don't. So the cross is being whittled away in people's experience. But I've got nothing to say outside of Jesus. So this man went home knowing he could now walk, which was great, but somewhere resonating in his ears but I suspect deep down in his psyche now, this man who he'd encountered today, whose name is Jesus, said, your sins are forgiven, and I knew that they were. That's the Christian life. Jesus said, I have come to forgive you your sins. Now, that is freely available for all. Just one more thing about sins, then we'll go on in to communion. Some of you will discover in your life, as we have done, as I have done, and in the church life, that it's something God seems to take care of in an instant. 
I used to do this, I used to do that. I, I've got some of those in my life and I'm very thankful to God for it. By and large, if you get around me, I don't swear. I'm not saying that arrogantly. God just gave me a mouthwash, that was it. Right? Some of you may really struggle with your language. But I can get over-anxious. It's called sin. Not anxiety, the over-anxiety is. Don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, thanks, Lord. So let's not play one sin off against another. We all need Jesus to still be our saviour. But let's come back to those bases. And the way that's transact is transacted is through the cross. I still love in Christ alone. Thank God you haven't changed the words. For on the cross, till Jesus died, when Jesus died, the what? The wrath of God was satisfied. You know that much of the charismatic world won't sing that right now? I'm serious. They've changed the lyrics. Because they don't want to talk about a God of wrath. Well, bang, out goes most of the scripture. I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. See, we're a people defined by God's forgiveness. That's us. That's who the church is. Not better. Not a bunch of moralists. Forgiveness in Christ Jesus and so what I, I think I really want to say is, could we just come back in the right sense to the bedrock? Could we do that? Just allow him to be who he wants to be? Seeing as you can't save yourself, why don't we let him? Lord, we thank you for this magnificent incident where you showed us that you, you dealt with hearts. And this morning, Lord, in this place and in this time and in this gathering, we're before you. You know our hearts. But we'd like you to show us what you've done with our hearts, how you've given us a new heart. Um, I think, if I've got this right, I'm hearing a conversation that goes like this. But Sean, you don't know my struggles. And that's true. But I bet they're not very uncommon. I bet they're not special. But you, the fact that you struggle, don't let the word struggle become the same as sin. In the struggle and in the fight, there is power there is cleansing. And the remarkable thing is he uses that to make you very personally and use as the church more like the sun. Do not be put off by the struggles, but rather submit your struggles to me, for in those struggles you will find that I am. And you want to cast them away, but in doing so you will cast me away. So embrace
my work into your life and allow me to be once again the one who is saving, the one who is crafting, the one who is bringing something beautiful out of all of this. We used to sing a song which ended, unfortunately I, I don't remember the music, but it simply said this, he makes everything beautiful in his time. That's what he's doing, making you beautiful in his time. Amen.